Hello and welcome to Two Cans in a String. I'm Jax and just checking in, seeing how everybody's going out there. It's been a couple of days, I haven't really gotten into a rhythm of things yet, but uh, turns out I've actually managed to keep very busy during lockdown. So it's been seven days, it's been a week. Uh, we're still alive and kicking, done many little art projects, um, a lot of cleaning, a lot of walking good to keep your mental health up uh, again more Skype calls than I've ever done in my life but it's been nice seeing some good faces out there thanks to all of those who have made time out to say hello over the internet fantastic today I'm going to cover a fantastic tale of survival and then somehow link it into a no way near as exciting story of mine but something that will probably make you laugh nonetheless. The guy we're going to cover today is Davy Duplessis, uh, an endurance athlete who does insane things all over the world. Um, what he looks like, he's quite handsome. He's a bit of a cross between Kelly Slater and Scott Disick, if you were to think if they had a child and he grew up to be a man, and then tell a story of survival, then this would be the guy. Oh, and he's South African. Um, but a few years back, he... Um, oh, I should probably find out when he did do that. Okay. 2012, in late August, David Duplessis was two months into a 4,000-mile source-to-sea expedition down the Amazon. Um... And this is going to be the story of how he survived. So he was quite, he's probably about halfway through his journey and he's going down the Amazon and he'd been having a good time. He's in a kayak, he's got a whole lot of stuff with him, kayaking along, um, you know, seeing all sorts of wildlife. And the Amazon has dolphins in the river. Uh, pink river dolphins. Now, this is true. They're freshwater dolphins. If anybody doesn't know about freshwater dolphins, l look it up. Dolphins? Dolphins? Uh, a little bit different to the dolphins that we used to say lived in Lake Wakatipu. Um, when I worked at a backpackers, we used to have backpacker buses come through, like a queue experience, uh, which we used to call uh, the vagina liner. And uh, it used to come into town and every now and then you'd have tour guides tell their customers that there was a dolphin show in the lake. Now this is a big fresh water lake that we live next to here in Queenstown. And I can remember one time I had these two American girls came up to my desk while I was working on reception and they put down a loaf of bread and some peanut butter and I was chatting away to them and I was like, oh, you guys going to have some peanut butter sandwiches for dinner and they're like oh no no this is for the dolphin show and I straight away cottoned on to what was going on and I said oh well I can understand the bread but what's with the peanut butter and they said oh our driver said if we put peanut butter on our toes the dolphins will nibble them and I cracked up at that because I had never heard that one before but they then were like oh is our driver pulling our leg and I was like no 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 no, your driver is telling you the truth. And they're like, no, really, like dolphins. And I was like, no, swear down, there are freshwater dolphins. Are you familiar with the Amazon pink river dolphin? And they said, oh, no. no. 
So I said, oh, well, you know, we had uh, out-of-control population of salmon and trout here, and you can't really commercially fish for trout. So to keep our uh, fish levels down, we introduced pink river dolphins from the Amazon to help control the fish species. And uh, we only brought over a small pod, and they've grown, and now they're the main pod that live in the lake, and they've helped to maintain our fish numbers in the lake so that it's not crazy amount of fish in there you know so they've actually really thrived in the environment and that's what you're going to go down and see today at 6 p.m is the dolphin show is the pink river dolphins putting on a bit of a show and off they went and totally believed it and then me and the reception staff all cracked up laughing you know so that's a sidetrack story of pink river dolphins there for you but anyway i do digress davy uh, he's kayaking along and he sees these pink river dolphins and they actually had been harassing him, not out of um, malice or anything, you know, not trying to get a big tasty bite out of him, but it's because they're curious, the dolphins. Dolphins are known to be curious, but their curiosity had almost knocked him out of his kayak a few times. So he was actually a little bit um, afraid of when the dolphins would come because they'd be so curious that he might get knocked out and there's all other sorts of crazy animals in the Amazon. So one day he's paddling along and he sees this boat with two guys, two young guys in it. Uh, it's, it's like an old wooden canoe and they've got an outboard motor on it. And uh, he didn't really think much of it when he saw them. You know, you see people along the Amazon, there's loads of local tribes and villages. And um, they went behind him and he, he kept on paddling. And then all of a sudden he felt something hit his back and he, he felt a searing pain and, and he couldn't feel from his waist up. And, of course, you know, this made him drop his paddle and he flopped into the water, you know, rolled the kayak and, he, and he's he's in under the water. And whilst he was capsized in the water, he opened his eyes and, and tried to move his arms and he kind of felt like as if somebody had hacked off his arms. And he said that they seemed separate to his body and, and like they were floating away. That's what the feeling he had. And, and then he thought, you know, what what the hell is going on here? But he, he also felt quite peaceful under the water. But he then, you know, decided to feel for his legs. You know, and this is all happening very fast, you know. And uh, and kicked them up and he, and he got half up onto his kayak. Uh, and, uh, you know, was sort of over the capsized kayak, regaining his breath uh, over the kayak. And then he got shot in the face. Now, the, the gun that shot him was a shotgun which has pallets and it sprays. So if it had been a rifle, this would be a sadder and quicker story, probably more like an epitaph. But because it was shotgun pallets, you know, he got sprayed and a couple of pallets hit his face. And that's when he realised he'd been shot and that people were actively shooting at him. So full panic, panic mode sets in and, and he looks at his surroundings and there was a there was just thick jungle either side of the river so he swam towards a riverbank and he pulls himself out onto the riverbank and he lays there, you know, catching his breath when another shot to the face hits him. This hit him through his windpipe. So it was a through and through, if you can imagine, sort of from the side, hits the windpipe. I'm fully pointing at my neck here like you can see me and then comes out the other side and it nicked an artery. So he's now sitting in a growing pool of his own blood and it was sitting, sort of laying, he's kind of still in the water a bit 
And uh, he thinks to himself, okay, you've been shot, you're bleeding, now is when you die. Do you like my South African accent? Just threw that in there. And he thought, well, how do you die? I don't know how to do that. So he closes his eyes, looking for the white light. No white light, so he opens his eyes again, looks around the jungle, closes his eyes again, tries it again, thinking Jesus himself would be there, long hair, hands out, welcoming him into the white light. None of this happened. So the, by this stage, he was very like relaxed and completely euphoric, kind of like he'd just sort of taken a whole lot of MDMA, so I hear. And he's paddling his hands in the water and just sort of killing time until he died. And while sitting there in his days, the two guys had split up and one had jumped out of the boat um, and is running through the jungle towards him. And, that, and that's the guy who had shot him with the shotgun. And then the second one circled around in the boat and was heading straight for him. Well, Davy then jumps up and he, and he puts his hands up in a praying sort of manner to say, please leave me alone, take my stuff, but leave me, you know, sort of hand gesturing to the guy coming towards him in the boat. And then he said he, he looked into the guy's eyes, and it could have been just for a couple of seconds, but during that time, you know, it was the first time in his life he had seen a look he'd never seen from another human being before, and it, and it was a look of no compassion, no care, not even a flicker of maybe we'll leave this guy. So Davey realised if he waited for this guy to, in the boat to reach the shore, that's it, he'd be, cooked, he'd be a cooked goose. So Davy he started to run, and as he ran off into the jungle, that's when he got shot the fourth time, and it hit him in the leg, sort of on his right-hand side, you know, upper thigh, on the outer leg. And even though he's bleeding, he's shot, he still can't feel his, his arms, uh, he runs through the jungle alongside the river. And far in the distance, he can see a fairy on the river. Now, when he said that, I originally thought he was meaning like he was hallucinating and he saw a forest fairy no I'm talking about a passenger fairy a boat so he starts running in that direction but it's about three to four kilometers away and by the time he'd reached where the fairy was it, it had gone but I mean he still fucking runs three three to four kilometers through jungle bleeding he's been shot in the face he's been shot through the windpipe he's like bleeding hard out he's been shot in the back been bloody shot in the leg this guy is unbelievable you know so he, he gets there and luckily there were two guards by the river so they must guard this ferry area because this must be a common occurrence of people just shooting other people on the river willy-nilly so he calls out to them but because he's been shot through the windpipe no sound came out you know and he's known for a loud whistle and again he couldn't the only thing that sort of came out was like a bit of a gurgle so eventually his arms started to work because his arms this whole time, he's sort of running like Ace Ventura when nature calls and he gets those darts and, it, you know, and he loses the movement in his arms, you know, that it, absolutely hilarious scene. One arrow too many. Anyway, sorry. So eventually his arms start to work and he, and he tries waving his hand to get his get the attention of the guards but they don't see him you know and they can't hear him so then he'd summon all of his energy and he'd jump up with all of his might and then fall back down into the forest floor and he had to do this a few times which think about that guys like 
He's been shot in the leg. He's been shot four times. This is absolute insanity. Then he's run three to four kilometers through the thick Amazonian jungle, bleeding profusely. That's mental. So he does this a few times, and this catches the attention of the guards. And um, they rush over, and they pick him up, and they take him across to what must have been their village. Now he was in safer company, he started to mentally take stock of his his wounds. You know, he realises his face was numb from being shot, and he thought he may have internal bleeding, and then he thought he potentially he'd end up drowning on his own blood. Obviously he was seriously injured and needed immediate medical attention, so the local village had none of these facilities. They had nothing to treat his wounds, and the nearest hospital was a day and a half by motorised boat up the Amazon River. So through the night, the local villagers ran him like a baton rally, and they'd pass him off like a baton, and they'd take him two hours up to the next village in the jungle, and then hand him to, to that village, and they would do the same, so on and so on, throughout the evening. However, there never really seemed to be a sense of urgency on the locals' part, which was really baffling to him because he's dying, you know, bleeding out. And for example, like when the second tribe he comes across and gets handed over to, he was with them for about three to four hours before anything really happened. And, uh, you know, they were too busy standing around chatting to actually take it seriously that this guy is dying in front of them. I don't know what else you need to do to prove that you're dying. Like, the guy would have been covered in blood, and you would see his wounds. So, anyway. And because he was starting, his internal bleeding was happening, so he was right, you know, he was bleeding inside. Uh, it would it would make him vomit, and he was vomiting buckets and buckets of blood. By the way, this is a bit gross. Too late, you're in. And luckily it hadn't actually gotten into his lungs, you know, the blood hadn't settled in his lungs, but it had coagulated into in his stomach. So as he's puking, he's pulling chunks of this coagulated blood out of his mouth, which is the grossest thing I can envision. And this is when all the locals realise how bad he was, because they're sitting there just watching him do this, you know. So up until then, you know, they're just not taking it seriously, but now they're taking it seriously. So they... They semi-pick up the pace, and uh, eventually they bring him to this city called Pacalpa. Pacalpa? And when he reaches there, he had nothing with him, nothing at all, because everything's back at the kayak, you know, those two have probably picked everything up, you know. Um, But he managed to make a phone call to his mum and his aunt, and luck luck would have it that his aunt's husband worked for a brewery called SAB and they had a factory uh, in this part of South America and so luckily they had the money to pay up front and fly him to Lima for the hospital care that he needed and ironically Davey doesn't drink nor has he supported SAB in the past however he now welcomes anybody to enjoy a beer because beer in a way saved his life so he, he gets to Lima, he received the care, and he still has a he still has repercussions from his recovery. Um, he still has a bullet lodged in his heart. He has about six to eight in his body and 
and he still has some bullets in his face. And the doctors just said, hopefully they'll grow out. You know, hopefully the body will just eventually push them out, which how weird would that be? You'd sit in there eating your dinner and then all of a sudden you hear this ding on the floor. Look down and it's a shotgun pallet. The guy's still nuts though. He still enjoys adventure and traveling and, and he's accomplished writing a book. He does public, you know, motivational speaking and he does further extreme endurance adventures. And the last one was in 2016 and it was called Project 1000 Botswana. And this had him running and cycling 1,000 kilometers per country, and it dedicated it was dedicated to highlight critically endangered species. So it, it is for a good cause. But geez, that's mental. That's a lot of effort, but good on him. So yeah, that's absolutely insane. You know, if you're thinking being stuck at home, to be honest, here it's beautiful, beautiful weather. <clears throat> So if you think being stuck at home is the worst, just think you could be going up the Amazon River on a huge endurance quest where you get shot four times, then you have to run four kilometers through thick Amazonian bush to then get passed on like a baton through a semi-urgent relay system and then be sponsored by a beer company to get medical attention. Yeah. Could be worse, couldn't it? Now you might be thinking, how the hell am I going to relate a story to that? Have I been shot? No. Do I kayak? Occasionally. Have I been to the Amazon? No. Have I met a pink river dolphin? No, I haven't. So my loose relation to that is semi-relates to kayaking in a very brief manner but last year I went camping with some friends and we decided to go out to a place called St. Bathans which is in central Otago and it's a man-made lake it was a mining massive mining shaft that got filled in with water so it's like really deep dark water but beautiful and clear where it's shallow but it drops off like suddenly and it's like the abyss and one of my things that I'm not particularly fond of is really deep dark water like I would not be okay in a submarine and that is part of the reason why I'd never be okay going to space that's exactly the same shit to me submarine and going to space like going down to the deep dark depths and going to space is exactly the same to me shouldn't be doing it but that's a whole nother story and uh yeah so we uh, down at the lake enjoying ourselves my mates decide to pull out the kayak and a couple of paddle boards and let's give it a go I thought paddleboarding, piece of cake no worries I can do that now for those of you who don't really know me that well I actually have terrible sense of balance um, I'm really well known for falling over quite a lot um, I, I went through a quite a long phase of falling over um, there a few years back it had, might have something to do with the amount of alcohol I'd consumed and just not being aware of where my feet were but I also have fallen down a rabbit hole um, not metaphorically I've literally fallen down a rabbit hole but because I was so pissed after a concert where Pat Benatar was the headliner 
I didn't break my leg or anything, but I severely wounded myself and buggered my knee for a, a very long time. But that's not the story either. The story is I decided to give paddleboarding a crack. But because I was so scared of the deep, dark water, I kind of stuck to the shallows. So I'm there, you know, getting up, and I am all over the show. I am, like, just wobbling everywhere, like legs are like, arms are out, and I couldn't quite get my feet in the right position for prime balancing, they were just a little bit too far or too close, you know, so I fell off, hit the ground, um, got back on, decided to give it another whirl, because I didn't want to be known as the person that couldn't, couldn't give it a go, you know. So I get up, I get up, um, I'm on there again, bloody, I am all over the show, legs are, arms are, you know, I'm wobbling, I'm, you know, I'm almost, I'm almost gone, but I'm almost up as well, so you know, you're at that, that point where you're like, I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there, and I'm almost completely up, and then I, I was like, oh no, I'm going down, so I fell, and as I fell, I put my arm out in front of me like a superman, and I landed on the paddleboard on my arm and went over backwards over my shoulder into the water and I hear this like pop 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 you know three pops and sorry if that bursts the eardrums here and um I instantly could not feel my shoulder I was like uh oh this isn't good but then I thought maybe I'm overreacting maybe it's not too bad so all my mates are like uh are you are you okay I'm like yeah just that really quite hurt. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get straight back up on that paddle board again. Uh, just give it a bit of a rest. And they're like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, I could maybe do the kayaking instead. So I then went out and did a kayak for about an hour. Came back. I was like, guys, my shoulder doesn't feel right, you know. Next day, still not right. Went and checked it out. And they still aren't too sure, but what they think happened was I almost dislocate, I either dislocated my shoulder and it popped back in, or I was right on the verge of dislocating my shoulder, but those were what the pops were, so I actually then had to go through physio for about a year, and uh, I had to get an MRI, and I've torn the cartilage and ligaments in my shoulder, and ended up having like a cortisone injection, but shoulder's okay now, I can still do the YMCA, um, it was the most ridiculous way you could ever injure yourself, but I, I pro probably shouldn't have been so cocky about thinking I could balance on a paddleboard, that was absolutely ridiculous, I don't know, I, was, I must have been completely insane or hungover, who knows, so yeah, that was my loose uh, story somehow related because I did a kayaking trip in that. You see what I mean? Yeah. Bit of a long stretch, but it reminded me of the paddle boarding incident. Another story it reminds me of is my friend Rachel. Now, Rachel, <clears throat> uh, I met her about 13 years ago. And... Um, one of the most peculiar things that I noticed about Rachel was that she had no sense of taste nor smell. And I asked her, you know, what happened there, mate? 
because she cooked amazingly. She could cook you the best curry ever. Like her food was delicious, but she cooked from memory because she did once upon a time have her smell and sense of taste. Now, Rach, she was a, a bar fly, and I'm not going to lie. I I enjoyed joining her there at the end of the bar, um, yelling for Jager bombs, and uh, she had done years of repping uh, overseas um, in Greece a lot of the time. She's Welsh. Well, she is Welsh still. And um, Rach was in Greece this one particular time. And she was on the back of the scooter, her cousin's scooter, and they're driving into town. And there's this huge tanker coming towards them. And it's a, uh, an Amstel beer tanker. And it didn't stop properly. No, what had happened was, sorry... A, another car had gotten in the way and the tanker didn't have had to swerve and it, it had to swerve and when it swerved the scooter that Rachel and her cousin were riding on got hit by the tanker so Rachel got hit off the back of the scooter like flew through the air and woke up a week later in a coma uh, after sorry a week later after being in a coma Jesus Christ get it together so yeah basically um because of that, she sustained a head injury, and the head injury stopped her from ever being able to smell or taste again. So, yeah, a beer tank. The irony is, she just she loves a good drink. Used to drink a shit ton of beer, and beer in the end stopped her from having a sense of smell or taste. She still enjoys a curry though, and loves food, so it hasn't really slowed her down. Um, not at all, actually. Legend. To be honest, I can't really top that story of survival, so I'm just going to quit while I'm ahead. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for giving us a listen, or me a listen. And uh, I'll catch you on the next episode where I'm, I'm sure I'll be able to wrangle somebody to talk to me, but everybody seems so busy in lockdown. Who would have thought? We're all busy. Who would have thought whilst we're on lockdown? Hey, busy lives would continue. So carry on with your projects, guys. Uh, in the meantime, if you do think of any of the malarkey I could cover, any crazy tales that you've heard of over the years, any tales of survival, if you've got any tales of survival, if you've got any funny little quips that I could cover, how to survive a zombie apocalypse, who knows? I actually will be covering that at some stage. So you can email me at strings to cans and uh, at gmail.com. Strings to T W O cans and and is the word uh. Hopefully you guys have figured that out. And there's also an Instagram page uh, that is string to cans and uh. Again, it's all written out, guys. If you can't figure it out, good luck to you. Uh, maybe you could apply for the next presidency. Um, in the meantime, hope to hear from you. And toodaloo.